You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Live Different Podcast listeners, what's going on? It's Matt back with you for another exciting episode. This week with my friend, Carla Blumenthal. She came on an under 30 experiences trip and she set off on a trajectory that I am super proud to see and follow her journey now coming to share it with you because there's a lot of value that she can add to your life. And I'm, yeah, just super excited to present her to you. I am also excited to let y'all know that I am here in Austin, Texas, and I have finished the manuscript for the Millennial Travel Guidebook. I can't wait to share more details with you and a very special announcement that if you love to travel, you will love the new podcast that I am launching, the Millennial Travel Podcast. I can't say too much more about it, but I can't wait for that to be shared with you. If you have ideas for guests who you would like to hear regarding travel, travel-specific guests, email me, matt and under30experiences.com. I would love to see you, and I'd love to see you participate in one of our under 30 experiences trips at some point, hopefully, well, who cares what your age is, but we're open to ages 21 to 35. We say we are an inclusive community rather than an exclusive community. So really anybody is welcome who has the right intentions, but you can check out our trips on sale page on under30experiences.com because there are a lot of deep discounts. For a while, we did not want to give out discounts on our trips. We wanted to stay really high value and we continue to do so. But because of our mission to make travel more accessible to young people, we are pumped to make travel more financially accessible to young people and discount trips when we can. So trips on sale page, that's new, under30experiences.com. Get set for Carla Blumenthal. She's awesome. You're going to love it. Thanks so much for your support. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest, Carla Blumenthal. She is a coach for thoughtful, ambitious men who desire to build remarkable relationships and achieve greater success. She has worked with people from Silicon Valley, New York City, business owners, consultants, managers, entertainments, investors, all sorts of different people who might be starting their own business or they are looking to advance their romantic life. And uh, her focus really is on emotional intelligence and high-performance coaching, which you guys might have just caught, uh, as obviously Carla is saying that's her, uh, her main focus in the last few years. And she mentioned the trip. Well, Carla was on our fourth under 30 experiences trip ever. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a really, really good time. So we've known each other now. We knew each other for a couple of years before that, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. we've been going on about 10 years knowing each other. So we'll have no shortage of things to catch up about. But without further ado, Carla, welcome. Hi, Matt. So excited to be here and catch up. No, I know this is, uh, well, you've had, as we were just saying, kind of offline, and then I started creepily recording us, uh, <laughs> that 
you've been on a journey and not just, well, a physical one. Yes, you, you came on a trip to Nicaragua and I'm sure you've probably traveled since then, but your, your life's journey has uh, really started to unfold in a lot of interesting ways. So I'd, I'd love to hear what have you been up to? Yeah. Well, it's easy to look at a fancy website or even a polished podcast and be like, oh, that person always knew what they were going to be and who they were going to do. Right. But the answer is it's an everyday question of who am I and where am I going and what do I want? So I've been really following those questions really for the past five years intentionally and exploring who I am. And that's led me to what I do today. That's awesome. Could you unpack that word intentionally for us? Because I think it's something that it gets used a lot. It's kind Mm -hmm. of, it's not a buzzword these days, I wouldn't call it. Maybe it is, but people are finding more meaning in that word these days. So could you talk about how you use the word? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So When I think about the word intention, there's actually two parts to it. First is actually understanding inside. So what are my thoughts? What are my emotions? What's going on within me so that I can create an intention? Because a lot of people just are out in the world doing things and they think that it's intentional, but they actually haven't checked in on the inside. So starting with my thoughts, my emotions, who understanding who I am, and then creating plans or who I want to be taking that action on the outside. So it's really those two parts, but the most important part is checking in on the inside. And that's a whole process that can take a while to start to develop that relationship with how to do that. That's really when I see intention, it's the two sides. No, that's that's great. And if someone was living their life unintentionally, or uh, I hear it more, maybe this is more new agey, I guess, or maybe you hear it in spiritual texts where people are just sleepwalking. They just Mm -hmm. awake. They're just going through the motions. What would you define as unintentionality? I don't think it's truthfully anyone's fault, first of all, (laughs) right? Right. We don't even know that we're doing that because we're not really taught how to wake up or how to be intentional, right? I think it's so fascinating that we go to school and we study math and literature and science, yet there's very little about studying ourselves that we learn in school. So it's really easy to get out there and be doing whatever you're doing in work or dating or career and to be going through the motions because there is no other education unless you really seek it out. So someone that may be just living unintentionally may be just sort of living what they thought they were supposed to do or living based off of maybe what their parents told them or a teacher or you know, a boss at one point. Um, and maybe at some point they've said, Hmm, yeah, sure. I'll choose that, that major or that job. You know, there has been some type of checking in process, but not a deeper level of understanding what's going on. And like I said, that's a process that takes some, some learning on exactly how to do that. So 
it takes a whole process that I'm happy to share more about, about what that looks like. But it's just, you know, someone that may be sleepwalking or just going through life, rolling with the punches. It's, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing unless it actually leads you to feel unfulfilled, to feel unhealthy, to actually desire something more. And when you start to reach some of those pains, I know for I myself, when I went on the trip to Nicaragua, I was starting to feel that. Like I started to feel almost this deep, longing in myself because I was sleepwalking because I didn't know how to find the right education. And so when I started to feel that within myself, I didn't know who to turn to or what to do. I just knew that I had to find other people that wanted to figure it out too. And so that's why starting on the trip and I did a couple other things of different fellowship programs and eventually finding my own coach is what helped me open up my world. Wow, that's really cool to hear. And and I love how you put that. And I'm especially glad that, you know, you encourage people not to judge themselves or when they feel like, oh yeah, God, I'm listening to this right now. And I am sleepwalking. I haven't been intentional. And, and to me, I think about, well, it's just kind of, if you're not living an examined life, if you're not thinking about these things, you kind of, maybe ignorance is bliss, right? Like you said, it's not necessarily a bad thing until it's not bad until it's bad. It's not until you're like, oh man, this really sucks. (laughs) Yeah. But there just seems that there's so much more out there once you discover the things that you're, you're talking about, Carla. And I'd love to know how people you know, you mentioned your parents and your teachers, and that's one of my favorite things. I'm sure podcast listeners have heard me say like, oh yeah, well, it's because we have corporations and guidance counselors and I don't know, police officers, not trying to pick on the police officers, but you know, <laughs> guiding us, the government's guiding us in the this in certain directions. I'd love to know what you think is the reason that, right, you're born on this earth, you got some parents, they might be good ones, they might not be, but then you kind of start into the system, I guess. In your experience, I'd love to know, like, how did you end up falling into the system, if, if you mm. will? And yeah. that teaches you not necessarily to, to think about these things, but just to, to follow the beaten path. Right. What I was going back to around it's no one's fault is because, right, we, when you're born, you know, whether your parents are quote unquote good or bad, right, you're always in a period of osmosis, right? Like you're taking in so much from the time you're born until um, I heard was at a conference last week and they said until you're five, five to seven is when you've actually learned a lot of paradigms or ways to think or ways to feel based on the adults around you. So you think about, you know, between zero and five to seven, that's such a short time, but that's when you have actually learned the ways to think, the ways to feel based off of like, you know, parents or teachers or whatever it might be, whoever the adults in your life may have been. And so in many ways, 
we learn that and we we have these adults in our lives who are are trying to guide us, but they may not necessarily know the healthiest way to think. They may not know the healthiest way to manage their emotions. So in many ways, we absorb those ways from our parents and our parents absorb it from their parents and so on, so on, so on, so on. So we're in many ways, sometimes living, if we don't, as you said, examine your life, we're living with different thoughts or emotions from like our great grandparents. (laughs) And that's sort of crazy, right? To think about that, that has been potentially passed down in many different ways. So, you know, when I look at my life, I really see that my parents were incredibly loving. And yet, you know, as all humans do, they had their shortcomings. And so I had to learn, okay, what voice is this within me? Is that a voice of my mom? Is that a voice of my dad? Is that a voice of a teacher? Or how do I even recognize the voices and how do I name them and how do I actually know what my voice is? And that takes several processes of unlayering to even tap into that. So that's what I think is so important when we look at the system. The system is set up to keep us safe, to keep us alive, to keep us in a thriving economy and environment, but it's not always set up to give us meaning or to give us happiness. And so going through that unlayering process of recognizing the different voices, the different influences, and how to like bring forward that tiny little maybe light or voice that was in you, how to bring that forward is such a critical skill. And I think it's important that it's a skill because you can learn that over time. Okay. And then is that what you do in your coaching practice is help people bring, you said, bring that voice forward? That's the deeper level of the work I do. Yeah. Because in a lot of coaching, right? A lot of my clients, I work with very, very thoughtful, sometimes introverted people who, or maybe, you know, they're just very conscientious of the world and themselves. And they, they do feel like something's off. They're either challenged with a work situation or challenged in relationships. And they've been trying really hard. Um, And maybe they've reached a certain level of financial success. But the equation that worked for them before to give them happiness and meaning doesn't work anymore. And so they're trying to understand and unpack why. And so part of helping them recognize their voice is is a small part of that work. What are some of the parts of this equation that you see that are most problematic, right? Like I'm thinking, for example, this equation or your website said something about doing these things while avoiding burnout, right? So. Mm. One thing that in in my life, if I work too much, I know that that equation, you know, if my hours are 60 plus, let's, Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh oh, wait a second, dude. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, this equation doesn't add up to that sum that I want at the end. Is that how you think about it? Or what are the things that you see people feel fall short on their equation? Yeah. So, Right. There's a couple areas of life we want to look at. So there's your psychology. So understanding the inner world, your physiology, 
your mission and purpose and your relationships, right? There are these important parts here that in my process, we really take an inventory of actually much more. We expand on all those, but those are some of the high level parts. We take an inventory and audit all these different areas because I think that's actually a really important part. What a lot of people do is set huge goals. And they go, I'm going to reach this goal and I'm going to hustle and grind and do what I want to do. And, you know, maybe they burn out, maybe they don't. But the point is, is that they set goals without actually looking at where they are right now. And so inventorying and auditing is a process that I think is so critical because you can really assess what's happening, what's working, what's not working, and what would feel good to set that goal. So I think that's a big part that a lot of people don't necessarily spend time in yet. Okay, that's really interesting. And are there things in today's society that you see make this happiness equation, if you will, just so much more difficult? Yeah, well, I think there's a fundamental thing, right? I think there's this, the Buddhist ethos, which is like life is suffering, right? Like in many ways, you know, whether you agree with that or not, I think there's some part of our humanness that isn't easy, right? We're in bodies that sometimes work and sometimes they don't. You know, we long for things or striving for something. So I think when we have a fundamental understanding that this isn't always going to be easy, right? But we can still reach for the best. Sort of this like paradigm of like, I know it's not going to be easy. I accept that. And yet I'm still going for it. it creates this resiliency in many ways. Sure. So that's the first thing of like having that fundamental understanding. And then of course there's like modern technology, you know, the modern world. So social media and like a 24 seven, you know, everyone being on their phone and, and comparison that maybe several generations didn't always have that I do think makes it feel like we need to be in a rat race or that we need to be doing something better than our neighbor that can create a deeper level of an inner critic. But that's why I think being super aware that that exists and how you exist in relationship to technology in relationship to your own thoughts and emotions is, is so important. No, that's, that's really interesting. In regards to resilience, Carla, when people are growing up, or, or maybe I could just ask you about your experience growing up, as you said, it's about suffering, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you were a child who, you know, I, I look at kids these days, here we go. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know about kids these days, I guess, but a lot of kids, they're grown up with everything kind of handed to them and their parents want to make sure that their kids are happy, happy, happy all the time, right? Keep them happy. Oh, they're crying, like pat them on the back. Oh, they're, they play a sport, like, okay, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody should be happy. I don't know that we're raised to really embrace that life is suffering and that we should embrace the challenge because your parents... <laughs> If they were nice, they probably just wanted you to be happy and they were doing their very best to make that happen. What do you think? Do you think that plays 
into it at all? Or did that play into mm. it at all for you? Or did yes. you get to school and say, oh, this is really hard. I'm going to have to stick it out. And this kind of sucks, actually. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about growing up for me is that I did pretty well, but I was never the smartest. I was never the most athletic or the most popular. I was always sort of like somewhere in the upper middle, mm-hmm. right? And what's so fascinating about that, as I've learned over time, is that it actually instilled a confidence in me. And this is my my definition of confidence, is that deep down, I believe that I'm going to figure it out. Am I always going to be the top, top, top? Maybe, maybe not. But I know that I'm going to figure out the best way to do something for me. And that's what I believe perhaps some kids don't have today is that sort of grit around, you know what, even if I, if I'm at the bottom or at the top or wherever I land, like I know I'm going to navigate it and I'm going to figure it out on my own or figure out the resources and support I need. I mean, truthfully, I, when I look at confident people around, there's sort of a machismo or like a like coming in, like I'm super confident. And then there's like people that have many ways a quiet confidence because they know deep down I may fail, but I'm going to bounce back. I may win and I'm going to figure out how to do it again. It's almost that, that that's what I believe resiliency and confidence actually feel very similar. You just know I'm going to navigate it the best way I know how. Okay. So I, I can relate personally because I was always pretty decent in school or in sports or whatever. I was never the best, but I was definitely a little bit above average. And so I kind of felt that, yeah, I I did develop that confidence when I was young. But what about the kids who got picked on? Or what about the person who is still trying to find that for themselves? I can say the one thing that solidified it for me as far as confidence goes, that I'll always be able to figure out, figure it out, was starting a business. And mm. one thing, when we recently reconnected, you had mentioned that you had gotten through your, oh, geez, kind of, I don't think you said the word jitters, but first time going full-time entrepreneurship or full-time into your coaching practice. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm curious what you see in other people who are trying to gain that confidence and what helps them. Love the nose. That's my biggest thing is I learned that, first of all, it's not really about me. The first thing is like when I'm, you know, whether it's in business or in coaching or whatever it might be, is that to not take things personally is sort of a cliche saying, but it, I think there's a lot of truth in it to not think, take things personally because it's not always about you, first of all. So there's that. Plus, you know, when you hear any type of no or later or next time or whatever it might be, it sort of goes hand in hand. First of all, it's not about you. And second, that that helps build the resilient thinking that helps build the, okay, got it. And so what's my next step? What's my next plan? And so I've just loved and and truthfully have 
learn how to accept that and learn how to move through any, you know, anything that didn't feel good, like, oh, this is about me or I'm not, you know, this or that. And I just learned how to just build a very strong, it's not an armor, but a strong, just understanding of like how to move through it within myself. And what I actually over time have learned is my, and this is probably true for a lot of people. My greatest strength is that I'm fairly sensitive. I'm very perceptive of other people and what's, I can sort of tell what's going on within people. And that can also be a weakness because within me, then I could let other people's thoughts or emotions or feelings impact me greatly. And what I built over time through this resilient thinking, through loving nose, through my own confidence of figuring out is realizing that how to keep my strength, my strength and build greater emotional intelligence, greater emotional strength around that part of my weakness. And I think we all have that light and that, you know, dark side of us, and we can learn how to make that light shine and maybe that dark side, how to look at it with more loving eyes, but also in many ways, guard it as well. Would you say that you're an empath? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's what you're referring to that you pick up on other people's emotions and are you saying you'll sometimes take them on yourself and internalize them and make that feeling be about you and and not necessarily about them? Is that right? Yes. And so I think that's why I focus so much on emotional intelligence in my own growth and teach that as well, because for empaths or people that are just very thoughtful or maybe sensitive, like that's a skill that can be cultivated over time to have that that emotional intelligence to make it not about you. That's great. And I can't say that I'm an empath myself, but my fiance definitely is. Like she'll pick up on my slightest bit of discomfort and she will feel it. And I'm like, okay, sorry, but you know, sometimes I just got to feel crappy for a little bit, you know? Yeah. It's nothing about you. I know this makes you feel crappy and it's, it's tough. I actually have something on that. In many ways, those two temperaments fit well together. So usually someone that is an empath actually is many ways seeking for that more solid person sometimes. Not that empaths can't be solid, but you know what I mean, that there's, there's a person that feels very deeply and then a person that perhaps doesn't feel as deeply because there's this dynamic that happens where in many ways you actually teach and learn from each other. And I think that's something that in many ways you have complementary skill sets that can, can grow. Okay. Because I was going to ask you, because obviously this is a big thing in relationships, this whole topic. And I'm sure this is one of the things that you work very much with your your clients on and I'll you know be bothered by something or you know I might swear while driving or who knows just normal people stuff but yeah I see how unpleasant this makes my partner feel and mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're saying makes me try to be more mindful so that I don't upset her because 
I don't want, I don't want to upset her. Obviously, when you, when you love somebody, you have a natural tendency to say, oh, okay, I do see how my thoughts or actions or feelings affect people around me. But it is challenging because mm-hmm. she feels my emotions stronger than I feel my own emotions. And it's like, wait, I just felt the slightest little bit of unpleasantry. <laughs> and like, wait for me to feel it before you react to it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, uh, well, if you don't mind me sharing with everybody, you just got married. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, you're setting yourself, <laughs> obviously you're setting yourself <laughs> up for the rest of your life to be in in this type of interwoven relationship, as you said. So I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about how you help people manage their emotions within relationships, with respect Mm. to relationships. Right. The first thing is truthfully what you've shared around awareness around yourself, right? And also it's great when the partner can do that as well. Because one of the main reasons, if we look at what a conscious partnership is, is when both people are in a relationship for growth, right? To grow together, to grow as individuals and as a couple, as a, as a family. And so in many ways, like we actually attract, you know, they always say the opposites attract. Sometimes we attract qualities within our partners that have a sense of familiarity actually relating to, in many ways, our parents, because we've learned how to work with different parts of our family, whether we've liked it or not. And so in many ways, um, even though sometimes we actually can attack our partner because we actually have a toolkit within us based on what we've seen from our, our family um, and maybe the way our, our parents raised us or, or our caregivers. So anyway, within a partnership, right, if you're in it for growth, which does take a level of like, okay, I'm, you know, outside of like having fun and sex and all this stuff, like if you're in it for the deep growth and meaning, there's some skills to learn that's within what I call real love, right? There's real love. And then there's sort of like love for fun or dating. But then you get to, when you really see your partner, you're like, all right, I know who this person is. And I I either have to flee the nest or go in deeper and learn how to grow. So, right. In many ways, we can see love as an opportunity to teach and learn and learn how to be better teachers and learn how to be better listeners and learners. So that's a really big skill set of saying, okay, as I talked about in the beginning of around intentionality, understanding your thoughts and emotions and being able to communicate that is such a big part of setting up some strong communication skills within a relationship. So if you're in it for growth, you know, know that real love is, is much deeper. And this is something I learned while I was engaged around looking at, okay, I'm really spending the rest of my life with my partner, Shane, like 
how do I need to learn and grow within myself so I can fully accept and love all of his amazingness, all of his, you know, flaws and really be the best partner. And that comes down to teaching and learning. That's really cool. And as soon as you said that about people's parents, I recognize the pattern in my parents. Absolutely. And my mom is very sensitive, very sweet, you know, uh, to very one extreme. And uh, my dad was to the other extreme. Mm. And so seeing them, Louis and I are are much closer in, in this difference than, you know, my parents were. But yeah, it's, that's really incredible. And it's interesting. Obviously, I'm playing the uh, male role, the masculine role in the relationship, and to see her embody all the, the feminine parts of the traditional feminine parts uh, of the relationship, just as my mom did. It's, it's very interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, actually, one book that really helped me with not taking things personally it was one of the four uh, the four agreements and mm-hmm. blanking on the name of the author mexican author uh really really good i don't know if you if you've read it carly you're shaking yes head. yes that was a really a, a game changer for me and then i just kind of use that as a rule like oh don't take it personally it's not about me all the time yeah One book that I always recommend to my male clients is The Way of the Superior Man. David, is that right? Yeah, because it it just really dives into some of these dynamics around, um, at least if you're in the masculine role, how to think about the feminine and also sort of how to have fun with it, right? In relationship. For sure. For sure. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz is mm. of, uh, the author for the, for the four agreements. Yeah. Carla, you mentioned real love before. And are, are you saying it's so real love is if you are focused in the relationship on growth, as you mm. said, that's it? Is that your definition or is there more there? Obviously, it's a probably an extremely complicated topic, but <laughs> one that it sounds like you've thought a lot about. Yeah, I have thought a lot about it. Um, someone I, I do follow and actually read her book from a, a more female perspective um, while I was engaged last year is the book, The Conscious Bride. And actually, my fiance at the time read it before I did. Um, we both sort of read it together in many ways. Because it talks a lot about, particularly if you are engaged or getting married, what the process, what's really going on underneath. And the author, Cheryl Paul, introduces this idea of real love. And Cheryl Paul is phenomenal. I did a coaching session with her and also runs another business now called Conscious Transitions, which is all about just big transitions in our lives whether it's a wedding or moving or a job and how to really go through it. And one of the big things I learned is about the relationship between grief and joy. So what a lot of people don't recognize, whether it is a wedding or a transition, is that there is an element of grief that we may feel. And if we don't process that, 
it will come out whether we avoid it or we we deny it or we sort of suppress it and it comes out in a sneaky way but it will come out in some way and so grieving in order to feel, really feel the joy of whatever the positive thing that's going on we need to feel some grief and so when i look at real love at least in my process and i know for my now husband shane like we both went through a process of grieving grieving our single selves grieving our relationship you know before we got officially married Sometimes there were tears. Sometimes it was just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to miss this or that. And really, really acknowledging the things I was going to miss about my dating life and about even just dating him before we got married. And so I think it's so important if we extract that and look at real love is we look at coming into real love is that process of grieving in many ways grieving so that you can be fully there for your partner in a way that is joyful. And then when I look at real love, I see that there's, yes, there's the growth as the fundamental goal, but it's about truly, truly listening and understanding your partner so that you can have that strong um, relationship. And what's really fascinating, I was at a, um, a conference last weekend called the School of Life, they do a lot of emotional education and they talked a lot about how we're in this time of romanticism, really the past before 200 years. So for thousands of years, people were in relationship, you know, for property, for kids and, you know, resources like that was it. It's sort of a new idea now that we get married you know, for love, that we get married for meaning, that we get married for growth. I mean, really like a blip in time that this is something new. Yeah. I mean, think about it, right? Like prior to the 1800s, why did people get married, right? Like only really the past 150 years or so have we gotten married for anything else other than those things. Um, and usually those marriages were arranged in some way, um, or based on, you know, your very small town. So if we look at it, we're really at the cutting edge of relationships, of marriage, of new, a new level of relationship. And so if we look at it, we're setting a really, um, by doing this work of understanding what a conscious relationship is, how to love in a real way where you're truly listening to your partner, you're understanding your own emotional world and connecting to theirs and making decisions for the growth of each other is pretty much brand new in the history of humankind. So he considers it though, Alain de Botin, um, from the School of Life, that we are in this phase of romanticism and that sometimes that's not always a good thing. Sometimes we do need to look at not just, okay, if it sounds romantic, it may not always be good for our emotional world or our thoughts. So we really need to connect into our partner and not always take things from like this grandiose, idealist, romantic um, perspective. Well, now we like romanticism on steroids because of the media that we are yes. getting in our face and the options Right. Like millennials get dinged for being job hoppers because we have all of the world's jobs at our fingertips. Well, we also have all of the world's people at our fingertips. Yeah. So you can go anywhere. You can go here and start over. And obviously this happened. 
But yeah, maybe maybe husband and wife hoppers. Who knows what the future will will bring? Yeah, that's that's really interesting to to think, Carl. And and I actually I wanted to go back to grieving because. <laughs> You know, we could have taken this in a fun direction, but of course I wanted to make it sad. No, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding, but it's something we don't learn. And actually I had a really good guest uh, on grieving. So if anybody wants to listen to that, I'll try to link that up in the, the show notes. It was the one of the co-founders of Live Your Legend, Chelsea Dinsmore, mm-hmm. I just remembered. She was a widow from the other co-founder, mm-hmm. and uh, but she she had to go through tremendous grief. Mm-hmm. But it's not something they teach you now. Eastern cultures have more built-in ways of dealing with grief into their cultures, I believe. Cere- more ceremonies, more long, drawn-out things, uh, fasting or not shaving, or or, or different things, and. You know, I'm, I'm not sure of all the, the details and, and the specifics, but I know Hinduism has a very specific set of things that you can do when you grieve. Here, if you talk, I don't really want to talk about death that, not because not I'm burying something, right? But I'll keep it, we'll keep it more light in terms of grief here. Right, so, okay, yeah, death here in the States, we're like, oh, better take the week off of work. I bet, you know, or maybe I should go see my therapist this week, right? So that's like our grieving. And yeah, of course, we have funerals and stuff, or some people don't. But grieving in the way that you're talking about letting your old self die, that's kind of what I want to, to get in. And that's a new concept I'll, I'll share with you, Carla, and obviously everybody who's, who's listening. And I almost can't even say it because I don't think it's really true, especially now to publicly say it because it's been a part of my identity for so long, but I've officially moved back to the United States, like officially. And this happened three days ago. I mean, I want to just thinking about it, honestly. Yeah. And packing up that place in Costa Rica and uh, you really <laughs> are an empath, Carla G. I can see, I can see you from across Skype. But yeah, I just backing up that house and right when you move from one country to another country, you have stuff and you can only bring bring two bags. So whatever was accumulated for my last five to seven years on and off in Costa Rica had personal possessions, which, you know, there's a certain energy that you have to let go there. And but your identity on and on, I can it's just kind of sad uh, to start a new life. Of course, right? You usually make decisions. Uh, hopefully, this decision is one that will set me up for the next phase of life. Except it's really hard to let that other phase go. Totally. Now that I've just blurted all out as if this were a real coaching session, <laughs> tell, me, tell me some things on how we can all learn to grieve a little bit better yeah well first of all congrats on the move and (laughs) I think it's such a good question and so what is so important here is that it's important to realize that we can grieve a happy thing is what we're getting at we can grieve 
a happy move. We can grieve in many ways. Like I said earlier, grieved through a happy lens that we're getting married or whatever it might be. And, you know, going back to what you mentioned, it is grieving an old identity and recognizing that like liminal phase where you're not yet fully the new person, but not the old person. That's when it's so important to grieve, right? It's when you're in that process. So something I did before I got married, like a year before I got married, I had something of what I called a a queen ceremony. So I actually got my girlfriends together on my birthday and had a Reiki instructor. And I said, I'm now graduating from quote unquote, graduating from a maiden to a queen. And it was many ways saying I'm grown up and I didn't necessarily want to tie this to my wedding necessarily. I'm grown up and I am grieving the youthful part of me, even though I'm still young, but the child part of me. And now I'm moving into my, my adult part of me, my queen part. And it was beautiful. And so whether you have a a ceremony like that or not, you know, doesn't, you can create your own little ceremony in whatever way feels right for you. Some people it's going on a walk. Some people it's just sitting and meditating But what is so important is that you recognize that you feel sad, right? Even when it feels like you should feel happy. And I think that's so important, recognizing it, letting it come forward, maybe give yourself a good cry. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, it might take a day. It might take a month. Sometimes it takes a couple months, but you will move through it if you don't avoid, deny, or suppress it. And so letting it come through actually opens you up to that new identity, to the new opportunities ahead of you. And so I think that's such an important phase to go through. Thank you for that. And and I think a rite of passage Mm -hmm. is so important. And I don't know, I think we're maybe selling ourselves a little short with the Las Vegas bachelor parties. What do you Yeah, well, you know what? Actually, what's so interesting is I learned a lot about like, right, the reason why those a bachelorette or a bachelor party exist, because I went through my own one of a bachelorette party and I actually, we went to Disney World, but um, (laughs) I realized is it feels really good to be with your guy friends or girlfriends And to celebrate, that's another thing that we don't do as well as a rite of passage is celebrating just for the sake of celebrating, like, you know, celebrating, um, something that, that my husband and I do now is every Friday night, we share like what we're celebrating for the week. This idea that we can celebrate almost every day if we, it becomes a part of our rituals and our routines. And then that's actually an important part more or less high performance too, of not only having a meaningful life, but of recognizing your wins, recognizing why you're celebrating. So I actually, in many ways, I do agree. Maybe the Vegas bachelor parties aren't always meeting the intention, but I think the idea behind it still is a good idea, right? That's great. That's excellent. And celebrating is something that I personally need to get a lot better because I'm the type of person and, and, for better or for worse, the type of boss who also, we hit a milestone, but if it wasn't in the way 
that I think that we should have, or that it could have been better, or maybe we got lucky, or who knows what. Um, you know, I'll be the first one to to speak up and talk about the ways that we can learn and grow and improve. Where sometimes you just gotta go party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Carla, I know that you have to go here and wrap up in a couple minutes, but I was wondering if. Anybody wanted to get in touch with you? Uh, obviously, you offer coaching, but you also have some really nice resources on your website that mm-hmm. uh, I was able to look through a little bit before our call. So, where can people find you online? Yeah, my website, carlablumenthal.com. On there, I do have a free resource, which I think you'll you'll link to. Um, it's basically helping you become more productive and focused. But through a, a tricky way that we don't always look at by overcoming your inner critic. And we talked in the beginning of our conversation about all these different voices. And if you find that you're like super hard on yourself or there's that inner critic going in the background, it can actually decrease your productivity and your outcomes. So I have a resource, a free resource that'll help you go through a process to really support you in becoming more productive and focused. So that's one way. And of course, I'm online on, on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm sure you'll, you'll link there, but it's all at my, my full name. Sounds good. Well, uh, if anybody could hear in the background, that was not me snoring while Carla was speaking. That is my puppy on the ground. Oh my goodness. She is, she's knocked out. We're in the co-working phone booth together. She has been in the backyard running all day and uh yeah she is she's tired but snoring uh quite loudly so i don't want any listeners to think that i was just nodding off there so no carla this has been a lot of fun yeah thank you so much yeah thank you matt no you're welcome always a pleasure to catch up yeah definitely